Hello there. Hello. The Mike Tamano Happening. Hi, this is Butch Patrick, Eddie Munster, and you're listening to Mike Shimano. All right, here we go again, our 15th episode, and I'd like to thank you all for the support and feedback. Remember, you can check me out on Facebook. Just look up Mike Tamano, the Mike Tamano shows on there. Um, Twitter, so check it all out. Keep in touch, send some feedback, and definitely subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. So as we head into the second week of October, my mood and my mindset definitely consumed by autumn, the fall of the year, when uh, the fragrance of my beloved woods is at its most pungent and intoxicating, beckoning the sportsman to take to the field for seasonal bounty and soul-cleansing adventure. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, stocking my family freezer with wild game and sharing many days of field with my dear family and friends. And of course, the month of Halloween is upon us, my favorite designated day of the year, which I think should be a paid holiday, but, you know, probably a big fight to get that done. But how cool is Halloween? Every day in my mind is Halloween. So around this time, my musical and film selections always revolve around the, the spooky, the gothic, the fun, the grotesque, the evil, whatever. Uh, let's see. This week I watched, to get into the Halloween spirit, Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Because, first of all, I love Abbott and Costello. Um, but Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, the high watermark. I mean, that, the direction, the photography, the acting, the thrills, the chills, and the laughter, all top notch. And I think when they tried to recapture that lightning in a bottle, it was impossible. The uh, Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's always fun to see Boris Karloff, and uh, it's fun to see the boys, but the script is pretty weak. The dialogue is pretty inane, and it's it's a second-tier type uh, film for Abbott and Costello. But Stuart Gordon, the great director, both in Chicago's theater World and uh, subsequently he made some great H.P. Lovecraft-based films like uh, Reanimator and uh, From Beyond. He did a movie called Castle Freak, I think. He was a really colorful character. He's not with us anymore, but I remember him stating when he watched Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that it was bizarre because there's not a happy ending to this. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a comedy, but the ending is not... It's kind of... Uh, kind of a downer for that sort of film. It wasn't a lighthearted, we all live happily ever after ending. So, you know, spoiler alert, watch it. It's worth to see the films of Abbott and Costello at any rate. But it's it, when, you, when you have such a great work of art as Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, it is so hard for me to uh, have any of their other films compared to it. Oh, and I also watched one of my all-time favorite werewolf movies, 
up there with you know the Wolfman, obviously my all-time fave, and the old ones. But of the modern day, well, modern day, the '80s. The '80s had two of the best werewolf films ever made: John Landis's *An American Werewolf in London*, superb, and Joe Dante's great *The Howling*. And that's another one, and that's the one that I watched recently, and it holds up. It's fun. It's goofy. It's got a lot of great little winks at the audience with Forrest J. Ackerman of Famous Monsters of Filmland wandering through um, the bookstore with Dick Miller as the proprietor of the occult bookstore. Great stuff. And a lot of uh, fun references in that movie. Great makeup. I believe it was Rob Bottin. Yeah, Rob Bottin did the Howling Werewolf makeup. And Rick Baker did the amazing An American Werewolf in London transformation werewolf makeup. I mean, that was what, what a golden age for a horror film. What do you see? The Howling. Somewhere in this city. In this human jungle. It begins. Just try. He's right there. What do you see? What's there? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods, in this primal, sensuous, secret place, lies an experience too terrifying for words. So I'll be watching more. I've got a bunch in my queue at home, both... uh, on Netflix and Amazon Prime and going through my vast library of Blu-rays and DVDs. So I'll be uh, consuming much of the horror film wonderfulness this Halloween season as I do every Halloween season. And I try to turn my daughter on to some great ones each year. Last year, we watched The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby together, and uh, she loved both of them. Now i got to try to find a couple to turn around to this year. I've been listening to uh, some... Some gothic-type music, Bauhaus CDs have made their way into the truck. The Cult, The Cure, you know, it's that kind of... The Cure, anytime there's a gray sky and a wind blowing and leaves falling, The Cure, yeah, it kind of hits the spot. So today's guest is Mick Fabus. He grew up on the south side of Chicago, and he's made his life in music as a songwriter. And also, he has branched out into the world of film and sound engineering and production. So he's a very interesting guy, great conversation, and uh, let's have some fun with Mick Fabus on the Mike Tomato Happening. Mick Fabus grew up on the south side of Chicago, and his musical history includes being part of a scene during its heyday, and he's a revered guitarist, songwriter, and producer whose work has been uh, spread out in a number of areas, and we're going to talk to him today on the Mike Tomano Happening. Welcome, Mick. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And so when I called you, you were uh, video editing, so we're going to get into that because uh, before we started recording, we were talking about technology and how it never ceases to (laughs) create some sort of obstacle to what you want to do but i think that's part guys like you who spend you know a lot of time in the studio you're constantly on a learning curve is that about uh accurate boy that's really you hit the nail on the head with that i mean it's uh 
it, it's never changing uh, in terms of that. Uh, that would be static, right? I mean, right. static change. Does that make any sense? Static it's, change? It's, yeah, al- it's always there, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, but, I know uh, I got a, yeah. a fire pod, you know, a interface, and uh, someone laid it on me. I'm like, oh, yeah. he's like, all I got to do is get the uh, the USB to fire pod. And it, that's like, you can't even find those things. You have to special order them, and someone has to make them. It's, it's, it never, ever is standard anymore back when we were kids you remember everything was standard you know this plug fit everything but not anymore well i want to get i want to start at the beginning with you because uh obviously as a guitarist and a songwriter your work is uh is spread out like i was saying and and i think therein lies what i want to give to my listeners who are aspiring musicians or creative people that you do have to diversify and get your stuff out there you've got a new single dropping this week we're going to talk about that and I want to start at the beginning. So you grew up in on the south side of Chicago, where a lot of musicians did. There was a great musical scene when we were kids. Right. And uh, tell us a little bit about your your time growing up in the Pullman area and how music entered your life, Mick. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, I started very young. I got guitar lessons at 13. I was getting work by the time I was 14. I was just hell-bent on being the best guitar player on planet Earth. And it took me a while to realize that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? I practiced eight hours a day. My father used to come in at two o'clock in the morning on a school night and say, you've got to stop plunking on that banjo. And I said, Dad, that's a, that's a guitar. <laughs> plunking on <laughs> so, the banjo. Uh, I love it. Plunking on the banjo. And, and, you know, it went from there to putting bands together like a lot of musicians do when they're in high school and then, but for me, it you know, I was lucky. I got in with some really talented people at a young age, and uh, got, I was I started a band called Fawn, which was an acronym of my last name, and Gordon Anderson, Jim Williams, and Bill Natale. That's where that name came from. And the reason we chose that name was we had an agent on the phone with us, saying we'd like to book you. What's the name of the band? We didn't have a name, <laughs> so we came with it off the cuff. And it stuck for like 11 years, you know, as much as we wanted to change it from time to time. Our management said, don't you dare change that name, you know. So, right. It's there. You know, so, But, uh, you know, I went from there to working with uh, a lot of people uh, in the studio at 16, 17 years old. I was in world-class studios with people like Gary Lewise of the American Bree, mm-hmm. uh, J- James Young from Styx is the guitar player in Styx to this day. And my bass player was Ricky Young, who is JY's brother. So it was like a family affair. And I learned a tremendous amount from JY and from Gary and, and, and other people uh, back in the day. So we, we toured with Styx uh, for a couple of years. We played with Survivor. We played with a lot of the up and coming bands at the time. But from my neighborhood, that neighborhood produced Sticks, the Proust Fawn, the Proust band called uh, Hartsfield. Mm. Great country rock band. Sure. Know? So these guys are all my friends, you know, and uh, the scene at the time was incredible. I mean, you just, there was plenty of places to play and hone your craft. And, uh, you know, I got picked up by. And a manager uh, at the University of Illinois, uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Hertzberg, who is currently the uh, president and CEO of Cinetel Pictures in Hollywood. Mm. 
and he, he got us booked all over. So you were out there playing as a teenager, and I want to to go back to the clubs and stuff in that. So this is the this is mid seventies we're talking. Yeah, early to mid seventies. Yeah, and And it was was everywhere. Phenomenal scene. Music was was everywhere. I remember bands like Jet and. and going to see uh, Stevie Starlight, who's still out there doing it every weekend. Yeah. And you yeah. had clubs like Haywires and PJ Flaherty's and the Adriatic Inn and that the Adriatic Lounge, whatever it was. It was they were right. all on the South Side, and so you'd sure. get the Illinois Entertainer, find out where your favorite band was playing that week, and it was the the thing about that scene was it didn't matter if you were heavy metal or you were pop rock or you were you know like the pez band and off broadway were on top of the game back then sure everybody was like you said a brotherhood it was a sisterhood it was people helping people i would go see slaughter extroyus who were like the heaviest metal at the time right. and then the next week you'd go see the pez band and it was just it, and it's, right. it's it, it, those clubs have uh all gone yeah, I mean, we did dates with Pez Band early on, and 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 Sticks, and uh, you know, Off Broadway, and, and the best bands of the area. And yeah. and I was lucky. I was just, you know, we did dates with Dex Card. I don't know if you remember Dex Card, sure. WLS, and he had a he had a a promotional circuit called the Wild Goose, and we did. Gosh, we must have done a half a dozen dates with Sticks when they were still not quite national. And that was a huge for us because we mm. got in front of big crowds and, um, you know, a phenomenal experience. So, yeah, I mean, I, I took that for about 10 or 11 years and we finally called it off because it was just time to call it off. There was no breakup or heavy drama or anything. It was just time to, time to move something on. else. You know, yeah. you bring up the radio stations back then in Dex Car with WLS and WLS would have uh, local bands playing uh, floats in the parade. You'd have uh, Q101 and The Loop putting out com- compilation albums of local bands and there was a real right. support for you know, local bands were getting airplay on major radio stations. Again, yeah. very rare these days outside of college or independent uh, programming, but that was a real scene and so you were part of it and your your band fawn got a lot of recognition and like you said you were you were up and coming and so it ran its course and then you you remained a songwriter and that that's kind right. of kind of interesting you know jy covering your stuff because he did a solo album and uh right and yeah. these guys were really entrenched in it and people were uh trading you know songs and giving uh material to people so talk about um how you became a songwriter and how that flourished for you you know i i would always even when i was not a musician i would walk through the neighborhoods and and words would come into my mind and i'd hear these melodies and everything so i started making up songs i didn't know how to play the guitar yet so i think it's just something at least for me and maybe others where this information is sent to you from mm-hmm. someplace. Yeah. And, you know, it made me legit. And I didn't know I was legit, but I was. And it, it just it got easier and easier. With Spawn, we had a ton of original material. I mean, we were signed to RCA and the deal went south. Uh, it's, you know, it's a fairly typical rock and roll horror story, you know, of how if it can go bad or if it can go wrong, it will. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to the band. I mean, I had people from 
other markets, uh, Milwaukee, LA, everything else that knew of the band and knew my story better than I did because at the time I was very young and I wasn't paying attention to the business side too much, you know? Yeah, and, uh, it happens. You know, it we... does happen, but I have no regrets. And, and those guys are still my brothers and, and uh, you know, they're great people. Well, yeah, and you have a reputation for being a solid cat who who comes through, you know, whether it's uh, producing or writing or playing guitar, especially. And, you know, back in your era uh, during Fawn and Survivor and like we mentioned, the Pez Band and then off Broadway in a band that we're going to mention in a moment, Chicago and I think the Midwest during that late 70s, early to mid 80s was a hub of power pop. You know, that cheap yeah. trick Beatles sound, uh, right. girls, fast cars, high school memories and those kind of tunes. And I think yeah. um, there should be a book written about Midwestern power pop because it's definitely uh, something to delve into. And you, you know, you can't talk about power pop uh, without mentioning Enough's Enough from Chicago, oh. Southside. Oh, sure. And you sure. had early involvement with them when they were just starting out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I had a studio on Lincoln Avenue, which, by the way, folks, it's still in the yellow pages, and it's been closed for like 35 years. <laughs> you better but, check that answering machine. <laughs> well, the poor guy that's got that number, you know, it's 4 o'clock in the morning when musicians actually work. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, can you give but, us a deal if we come in overnights on a Sunday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean... What happened there was, uh, let me back up a second. You know, you mentioned Cheap Trick, and this is this is kind of a rare tidbit for you, but Robin Zander was in Fawn. Right. Before he was in Cheap Trick. And we met him up in the Wisconsin Dells. He was underage, and so was I. But he would sit out in the beer garden, and one night he brought in a vintage Les Paul from a friend of his, and that was his ticket into the club, so... You know, I played this Les Paul, and I loved it. We got together after the gigs, and we were in the in the Dells at a place called the Warehouse for the entire summer. And you know, they put us up, and everything was carte blanche, and we were the best draw there. But Robin was in a in a folk duo across town in a place I don't remember the place. I think it was called the Lookout Lounge, maybe. Okay. And uh, he he loved our harmony, and that's one thing Fawn was really good at. I mean, we. We, we had great vocals, you know, and uh, um, Sticks, I'll tell you. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, he was in the band about a month after we left that engagement, and he was only in the band for a couple of months because, uh, you know, actually, he wasn't able to make rehearsals. He didn't have transportation and everything else. As brilliant as he is, so... You know, Chief Trick is really the beneficiary of our youthful impatience. <laughs> you can't make it from Rockford on time, so we're going to find another singer. And uh, yeah, there you little go. did we know, you know. I mean, and we had harmony. It was incredible. I mean, this. Oh, sure. You know, I, I love the Cry and Shames, you know, who were from phenomenal harmony bands. Absolutely. Right? And classic, you know. But, uh, you know, we were on that caliber, and we had Xander singing lead. It was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, so if, anyway, that's a tidbit. So you know, I'm going to fast forward about 13 years now. Well, have you kept in touch my, with Robin over the years? I've seen Robin at A and M Records. Um, 
he used to live around the corner. I used to live in Streeterville. Okay. And and he, he lived around the corner for me, and he'd be walking his dog, and I'd run into him on the street. But, you know, we never really hung out, per se, after that fact. And, yeah. uh, but I guess he, he still talks about how Fawn let him go. And, Robin, if you're listening, I was not the one who did it. Okay. <laughs> and if you're up for a reunion, you know, let's do it. Oh, I would love it. <laughs> I would absolutely love it. You know, and isn't it get, weird how all these cats like, you know, uh, Jim Peterick and JY and Dennis DeYoung and Cheap Trick, they all stay in Illinois. You know, they all had chances to move to L.A. And they kind of there's something about Chicago or the Midwest that keeps them grounded, I think. You know what? I think they grew up at a time when, you know, the work ethic was really strong and we approached rock and roll the same way we would any other job. Yeah. You know? And I mean, we busted our tails, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, and, and early on we loaded our equipment and, you know, PA system. We finally were popular enough where we could afford road crews and things like that. But I mean, early on, that's a very hard job. And you have, you know, driving three or 400 miles, setting up your own gear and doing a show taking it all down mm-hmm. and going under the next town. I mean, it's, it doesn't get much harder than that. I gotta say. Right. And you know, I don't know. I don't know if you could do that in your, you know, later in your life and put up with it. But I mean, we no, did. it's a young man's game. I've had, uh, people call me to tour, you know, with their bands and I'm like, I, I, you know, I'm in my fifties, man. I, I, even if it's playing jazz or whatever, just, just the idea yeah. of working all week and then driving to Iowa on a Friday, yeah. I, I I can't do it. And people, <laughs> people do, they, they romanticize, but living in a bus with a bunch of smelly guys in this close proximity oh, yeah. and going from one town to the next, that's it. It is a tough gig. Even, even when you're in the major leagues, you know, let me tell you, I mean, you know, you're driving down to Iowa and we used to play the quad cities and whatever. And you hear that thunk, thunk, thunk. And then you realize 50 <laughs> miles back, you lost your suitcase. <laughs> which was never put into the back of the truck. Somebody left it on top right. of the damn truck, you know? Yeah. So You forgot your uh, snare you know, drum. It, yeah, yeah. There goes the snare drum. The, you know, the drummer's trap case is gone. What right. happened to it, you know? Right. But, uh, you know, you know it, it, mentioning enough's enough, I mean, I love those guys, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, but we had a, I had a studio and started this little studio band and we came up with the name and I actually came up with the name, enough's enough. And, uh, it came from a song of mine called It's Never Too Late. And Donnie V sang that song and we recorded, we must, uh, we must have two albums worth of material right there from the actual original band, you know? Yeah. And there are several of them that are really, really, really special tunes that I wrote with Donnie V and, uh, you know, Chips Enough and, and, and everybody. So it was, it was really, a great grouping of people that, you know, enough enough too had the work ethic. They wanted to make it. They they lived and breathed it. And that's what you have to do if you're gonna really be serious about being an artist of any type. Yeah. And and, you know, taking that long drive through Iowa City on a Friday night or, you know, I mean that's just par for the course. So we did a lot of recording there. Um, and we, I cemented the relationship with uh, Donnie and Chip at those sessions. And to this day, they're friends of mine. Donnie's a very close friend, as is Chip. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah, I've been friends with both of them for many, many years, and uh, it is a roller coaster just being with them. I Donnie was our first guest on this podcast because I love him okay. so much, and it's funny right. because he started telling stories that he shouldn't have been telling and i and i had to remind him i said hey dude you know i'm recording this and he's like oh yeah yeah you can't you, you, can't, yeah, you yeah. gotta edit that out because his brain is going all the time at 100 miles an hour so uh yeah no and and he's a he's a brilliant brilliant talent. brilliant songwriter and, and great singer you know yeah. what i mean i mean when i first when he first came to my studio I don't know if, you, I think you were at the show at Fitzgerald's, right? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Yeah. And I had mentioned when Donnie called me out on stage to give a little history that, you know, I had the song, It's Never Too Late. And I had just finished run, doing some rough tracks and, and so on. And Donnie came in and within just a few minutes, he had his head wrapped around the melody. Oh, and yeah. when he opened when he opened his mouth to sing, I thought he's singing the song. I mean, there's no question about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really, uh, brilliant singer songwriter and uh, he's starting to see a great resurgence. And I think people are going to discover him uh, in his solo situation. Now I think he's going to find a whole yeah. new audience that's going to grab on. It says if we can get out of this damn pandemic and crazy lockdowns and it's hard to play and it's hard to tour. And, right. and once that right. lifts, I think, uh, I think, and he just got uh, Howard Stern and him just wrote a song together or something. So he's, his name's getting right. out there where it needs to be. And, and I've been a champion That's of enough's great. enough. Every radio station I've been at, I've, I've played them. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. Great guys. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, they have a new box set out, but, enough of it, enough's enough let's so so you were with them and then you um you continued on i mean what, what i ask you is making a career as a songwriter as a musician as a producer how do you juggle all that and how do you uh how did you have like a plan or did, did it just kind of all fall into its own place a great question i mean really when you make a commitment to being an artist and i think Every artist has that moment of truth where they go, you know what? Damn it, I am an artist. Right. And you you ha you have to be comfortable in your own skin and not feel like you know afraid to express yourself because there's nothing like a song. I mean, songs change the world. You know, absolutely. People can people say all they want about acting, which is a brilliant profession for the best the best of them. But you know you can change the world with a song. Yeah. And you know what? All you have to do is listen to your favorites and, and brand new music maybe you've never heard before. And it gives you a whole new slant on things, you know? Yeah. And it's a real, it's a healing, it's a healing well, sure. frequency, you know? And we all know this. I mean, and, well, yeah, think about how many times this song has gotten you through, or a song or an album has gotten you through a dark day or a dark time, you know? I mean, I remember going through a divorce in 2000 and i at the time the house was empty <laughs> you know because things right. were being moved out and i just had a right. couple of albums and they weren't even necessarily bands that i dug but right. like i had u2 all all you can't leave behind i think it's called yeah i had yeah. a cd from the radio station all you can't leave behind and i just left it in all the time and these songs started to really grab me and they right. start to tell your story. And another one was blind melon, uh, their mm -hmm. second album, 
yeah. soup i think it was called that, okay. I don't know. Yeah. but anyway there was a song in there called galaxy and it started to speak to me and i had these songs on repeat you know with no furniture left in the house and just left those two cds playing and i'm telling you they're like they become friends and so when you say healing yeah music is yeah. the universal language and it has the power to heal no doubt no question about it i mean yeah, i mean I, and i know exactly what you're talking about in terms of situational things in your life where you're going through major changes yeah and darn it if it isn't that Brubeck and Desmond cassette that falls out of the cardboard box, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, oh my God, again? <laughs> this happened 22 years ago, you know? Brubeck, Brubeck this- and Desmond, that's fantastic. It's funny you mentioned that. It seems like every guest I have on, they mention, I actually just went through all my Dave Brubeck albums in the last week and listened to them. <laughs> Try to figure yeah. out what Joe Morello's doing on the drum kit. But you're absolutely oh right. It's like sometimes God. it just shows up. So you knew that making music is is more than just a, a career. It's a vocation. And so you stuck with it. Yeah, I, and I was, I was fortunate enough to be in situations where my songs would be available to people. For example, like John McNaughton, who's the film director. Mm. He did Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. He did The Borrower. Those were his first two films, and then he followed up with Mad Dog and Glory, and he, right. and he got into he got into some pretty good company there, you know. But I mean, he put my songs in in his films. I played guitar on his second film on the tra- you know on the on the credit roll, and hmm. it's nice to see your name you know on a credit roll. But the point is, is that. These things, like that Brubeck he said falling out of the cardboard box, these things just keep happening to me, you know? Yeah. And and I, and I do that from happenstance or serendipity or whatever you want to say, but by the same token, I work it. I mean, you have to work you it. Have you have to, to work for it. The young, for the young writers out there, guitar players, musicians, you can't just fall too much in love with your latest song. You You have to have a plan for that song and you have to make sure that you're talking to people just like I'm talking to Mike right now. Yeah. You have, you have to be serious about it. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, it, for all these things, like when you first start and you're in high school, maybe it's something you, or you couldn't get past the F chord or <laughs> whatever yeah, it right. was, you know, because the F chord puts the guitar in the closet, you know, for a lot of people. <laughs> B minor for me, but yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And so you have to really open yourself up to get the information about the song. I mean, I use, for example, maybe I'll give a little tip, and this isn't exactly anything real rare, but, you know, if I have my iPhone, these things come to me. So that whether I'm mowing the lawn, throwing toll, uh, change at a toll booth, of course, you don't do the change thing much anymore. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, these things come in, so I grab the phone and I sing into it, so I don't lose it. At least that way, it's documented. Sure. And then I take, then I take it home and I go, you know, this really is pretty cool. And you know, some of them I throw away, a lot of them I keep. Yeah, my phone um, is a catalog of riffs. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, I I hear you, and it's all at our yeah. disposal. And also, you know, you know, one of the things that I tell kids and and people that are coming up or thinking of uh, getting their career kickstarted. Is, and the more you can do, the more you will do. And I think, uh, you know, you were a kid practicing his guitar 
eight hours a day right. and, and all the scales and le- trying to learn licks off the records. But you learned the business, you learned recording, and you knew, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, you knew the more entrenched you were going to be, the more opportunities were going to come. You know, it's, it, that's, that's very, very true. And, you know, you'd get a reputation of being a guy that can deliver when called. And, um, you know, my music speaks for itself, just like anybody that knows what they're doing in any profession. Um, but you still can't rest on your laurels and think you're going to be discovered because you have to go get yourself discovered. Right. Right. You know, I mean, you just can't sit back. I remember being a kid with the singer songwriter, you know, floating through life, thinking that the big break's going to come. And we had a couple big breaks, but it took a lot longer than it probably needed to take mm-hmm. if I had more of a business head when I was a kid. You know, I wasn't educated in business, but I realized whether I needed to educate myself technologically speaking with recording or studying business and working out how to do a business plan and everything else. But those talents and skills are golden. I mean, you really need to be able to do that because your talent may never be discovered by anybody. Right. Unless you go tell people, look, here I am. There's the song. There's the film. There's the painting, whatever it is, you know. And you got to have a love for the work because even with business acumen, you'll still have things fall apart in the 11th hour. I've had, you know, major deals where I was packing right. and getting ready to move with the, uh, oh. with the U-Haul outside. And, yeah. you know, the, and then you get the phone call that this obstacle is now in play. And so, you know, loving the, loving what you do is the impetus to keep going when, when you get kicked in the teeth. Now you've, you know, so you work with John McNaughton on uh, Henry portrait of a serial killer, which, had a great soundtrack um, and you yeah. had a couple of songs in that. Now, did that lead you? Cause I know you worked on some films um, in post-production and you did some editing and stuff for some films yeah. that were shot in Chicago. Was that, was that the impetus that led you into that? The networking? That's a great question. I mean, actually when I closed my studio, uh, Fabus sound, um, I had gotten a tip that this company Cine center was looking for a manager. So I went over there and interviewed with them and I got the job. And basically I was the post-production manager for every feature that was shot in Chicago for about five years. Wow. So, so yeah, I mean, I met Scorsese, Michael Ballhaus, a lot of famous actors. And because I was with famous musicians, I was never starstruck with any of that stuff. You know, these were people going to work. They were business. Yeah. And, they were doing business. And, and they're doing business. I designed yeah. a screening room for uh, Siskel and Eber, you know, I mean, how does Mick get that gig? I mean, you know, people say, how did you get that gig? Well, you know, opportunities avail themselves when you make yourself yeah. knowledgeable and you get into the mix. You've got to get into the mix. You got to get into, you know, yeah, that's a great point because, uh, 
you know, opportunity does come and, you know, you've got to be prepared, but you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And so you've got to be every place all the time. You've got to be ready to be called and be there and work. That's, that's, a, that's a great point. So, so when you worked on yeah. these films and you were doing all kinds of um, managing for the post-production, what does that entail for like the Untouchables or Home Alone, yeah. th- those kind of movies? All right, for example, like for The Color of Money with Newman and Cruz. I mean, stuff ended on the, ended up on the cutting room floor, whether it was a sound transfer, because back then they were using 35-millimeter mag stock right. sound, right? And then 35-millimeter film, and they'd put it on a chem editing machine or a, a moviola, and they would cut this stuff. But you could hear Paul Newman giving Tom Cruise an acting lesson, you know, and all that stuff <laughs> ended up on the floor, you know. Tom, if you're listening, I know. <laughs> well, who's going to tell Paul he can't help him out, you know? Well, yeah, well, he's got, but he does have salad dressing, okay? Yes, so. he does. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we did a lot of that. I mean, and, and I would, you know, I'd, I'd go up to Toronto, right? Norman Jewison's Yorktown Productions. Yeah. And he, he would do things like Moonstruck and, uh, you know, uh, his editor, Lou Lombardo, the late, great Lou Lombardo, was a master editor. So I was around these people, and it just felt like, you know, here's the musical guy who's got the edge from Chicago, and he's also a film guy now, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of how it happened. I just got into it. You know, I was never, I didn't go to Columbia College and go to film school or anything. It was just like I got in there. Your hands and, were and, you dirty. Know, Frank, yeah. You're getting your hands in hands there. Are, yeah. My hands are dirty. But you know what? It went back to soldering guitar chords when I was 12 or 13 years old. <laughs> there you go. Amazing like, stuff. You, you know how to fix this, Mick? You know how to fix this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Let me oh it yeah, because a lot of players they can't even change their strings. They're like, "Hey man, do this for me." Yeah, and so. Well, you know, one thing about the guitar, Mike. If you're a serious guitarist, you are also a mechanic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Different pickups. Yeah. Sure. Everything. You know, trying to get those pots back through the uh, holes in, in a in a semi hollow like a Gibson three thirty five or something. Yes. You know, it's like the great Melendez. You're suspending these things with string and all kinds, of, you know. But it was... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I can't buy a guitar. Okay, so I'm I'm a drummer, but I when I, if I'm writing music, um, you know, I have guitars and a bass and, and some, some yeah. keyboards. And inevitably, a guitar player or a bass player will come to my house, pick up my Fender Jazz, say, oh, this has great action on it. You know what you ought to do? And it immediately is like a Frankenstein surgery that they want to do on the, on the pickups and the neck. And I'm like, just leave it alone. It's fine for what I need it for, you know? Yeah. But it yeah, is, exactly. there is a mechanic that they, 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 guitar players can't help but tinker with shit. That's, they have to take stuff apart. It's I, and they, my drummers, drummers can't help tapping on stuff. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> All the you know, time. I mean, look at, at a guitar, you know, with a guitar, you got machine heads, right? So yeah. there's a machine right there. I mean, tuning pegs, you know? Yes. Uh, uh. And all of that. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm so glad that I got bitten by the bug, you know? Uh, so walk to, us to through a day now. Music. 
Yeah, walk us through a day now because when I called you, you were editing videos. So I mean, it's yeah. so, so you've got your you've got a lot of things going on, and and so walk us through a day in Mick Fabus's life and, and okay. an average work day. You know, I'll take a song that I have recorded roughly, or I'll sit down and play my instrument or guitar and just write it and go for it. And you know, if it if it's one of those songs that has to happen. Usually they happen pretty quickly. Yeah, I find that if it takes longer, uh, maybe it isn't ready. Right. Produce it isn't ready to be produced. You know, but if it happens quickly, don't fight it. But the song will take you to places where it wants to go, and you have to listen to the song and you have to feel that vibe. You know, to where to take it. Yeah, I right. mean, there are things where you know, you know, maybe we don't need the extra three-part harmony in the chorus. Maybe we should just keep it solo or do a duet there. You know, mm-hmm. and that's always part of the mix too, right? As a drummer, you're always changing your parts, and always. so you you know absolutely this is this is what's going to work here, and this is not only fundamentally correct. This is me. This is Mike. Right. This is Mike playing these drums right now, and this is what I'm going to play. You know. Yeah, and again, it's it's like understanding who you are as a musical talent and an artist and and everything else, and you you start to recognize certain traits after you've been doing it a while, um, yeah. certain certain signatures that are uniquely your own, you know. So uh, th- that would be it. I would sit down, um, and everything, you know, we 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 started at the top of the show, uh, or even prior talking about technology, you have to really honor the technology and at least be somewhat technologically aware of what's going on because really you, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't learn it. Because right. this, you, you, there, you, there's so much you can do with a reasonable investment of equipment and get broadcast quality results sitting at home. Yeah. And, it, and if, and, you know, it's a little harder to do that with a drum kit, you know, but, you know, I'll go out and most recently I, I recorded some things with Scott Bonshire, who plays drums with Hartsfield, and he's going to be on the next release coming out at the end of October. Um, you know, I went, I didn't have a multi-track rig. I went and recorded them two-track, and it's smoking. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of times you don't need to go in and dedicate 12 tracks to the drums and, and everything. So a lot of times you do, but a lot of times you don't. That's just my opinion. It's not necessarily right or wrong, but I know you get results either way. Right. You know, so sometimes technology can get in the way of the creative process, and by the time you actually get time, get around to being creative, it's time to go home or the session is done. You're like, what the heck just happened there, you know? We well, got nothing and it's, done today. Yeah, and it's know? also what you were talking about before, letting the song dictate what it's going to be and, and tell you what it needs because then by the time you get in the studio you'll know you'll know if you're you're getting you know we're getting way too technical or we're getting way too much involved with the software rather than the hardware being right. played and the song and the story being told yeah and that's the thing about sound engineering another another you guys are just uh that's another obsession <laughs> that that yeah. rabbit hole is just amazing i leave that to the, to other people i demo stuff and bring it to the pros and say okay do something you know polish this turd <laughs> that's pretty well much you know it. what i mean 
you know, I mean, I don't know if it's that or not, but I mean, it, you know, an engineer will appreciate if you set your stems up right. Yeah. And if you got if you got good levels and you didn't over compress it, and a lot of right. these things where people want that radio optimized sound in in the mix off the tube mix, you know, that's a big mistake. You know, because if you're going to send that to a mastering engineer, that mastering engineer has nothing to play with. Right. You, you give him some already, room. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's, there's so many facets to it. But It's I a mean, science, I think, you know. Yeah, I mean, you've you got to really stick to the basics and and let the song breathe. And the, and the song will tell you if it's ready or not. Yeah. Now, you know, then, speaking of a science, you, you, let's talk about the book you wrote. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. The Art and Science of yeah. Songwriting. Yeah, I, I released that in 2007, I think, or 2008. And it it was basically, Mike, it was a, uh, a recollection of my whole experience and what it takes. I didn't want to come off sounding like an expert. I wanted to come off sounding helpful. Yeah. And encur- encouraging to a, a beginning songwriter and maybe a, even a veteran songwriter would say, hey, you know, I haven't thought of that. And um, so all I did was take my experiences and tied a few things together with that. And next thing you know, I had, a, I don't know, a couple hundred pages. I said, you know, publish it. Mm. So I got my ISBNs and sold it online for a while, and it did pretty well, you know. Um, kept Amazon out of the picture. No offense, Amazon, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> No, you can't have fifty-five percent of it. Right, it's the independent spirit there. Yeah, I hear you. I think hey, more and more people are starting to say, "I'm going to do everything myself" because it's a lot easier. And it's a if you're looking to make a living, the less people involved outside of the family of the creative hub, uh, the better. You know. Before we wrap up, I want to first of all say you're an extremely uh, insightful cat, and thanks for taking time out with us because I know you have a busy schedule. And Thanks, I want to talk about your new single, which when you first sent it to me, you know, I'm, I'm producing a, a podcast. I do a daily radio show. And so when I get music sent to me, I give it a passive listen. You know, I might be doing something else and let me hear a mixed song. And that one, as soon as it ended, I went back and I was like, I got, boy, this song has a beautiful flow to it. And it really pulls you in, and and so I want you to talk a little bit about your new single that's that's out and how people can uh, can grab it. Well, thanks. Um, well, tonight I'm actually going to debut it on uh, do a Facebook live. Um, I was doing some final tweaks on a video that that's going to be a companion to the song. Um, the song, really, I've had for six or seven months. And again, it was an iPhone capture. And I listened to it and I thought, I've got to record this. This is incredible. You know, and, and I do this so often. Sometimes I don't want to say I forget about them. Mm-hmm. I've got a big, big backlog of these things. And I thought, okay, you're the first one that spilled out like that cassette. Let's do this one because this is really speaking to me. So the song, you know, I think it has really endearing qualities to me personally. I just hope it reaches other people. I'm really thrilled to hear that you liked it. Um, it's got it's got a lot of attributes. I get a, a chance to play a little lead guitar in it. And, yeah, you do. Uh, vocally and um, you know, 
you can't really call it power pop. I don't know what you'd call it, but I mean, no, I was mixed. thinking that too as I was listening to it. It's it's just kind of a timeless song, and it's got a great lyrical metaphor. I'm not going to give it away. It's called "All I Got to okay. Give." You know, it kind of reminded me of, and this is an obscure reference, but music heads will know, of uh, Chris Bell from Big Star. Yeah. When he stepped out of Big Star, he kind of let his music breathe a little bit. It wasn't such a tightly power pop thing. It was kind of just kind of breathed and told a story. And, and this song, uh, it causes repeat listenings right off the bat. It's all I got to give. And let's get to, get your uh, contact information, too, because I want to talk about Touch Tap Productions, which tell us about that, and we'll tie it in with the single. You know what? That company, I, I formed an LLC several years ago that... Actually, the name of the company is uh, TouchTap Enterprises LLC, and the record label is TouchTap Records. I'm going to be releasing a song every month uh, and so through 2021 as singles. I thought about doing an EP and an LP, and actually thought about doing vinyl, but I don't know. You know, I, I just rethought that, and I just think with people's attention spans and everything else, for my music anyway, uh, I'm going to take the singles approach for the rest of this year. Now, I may change gears in 2022. Um, Throw them all together on vinyl after that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I think we're off to a good start. And, you know, I'm thrilled that you you like the song and you invited me to come on your show. Uh, I've really had a great time today. Excellent. Well, I had a great time talking with you, Mick Favis. Well, you can come to my uh, Facebook page. I've also got a a group of... uh, Mick Sabus and Friends. You can send me an invite request for that right on Facebook. It's Mick Sabus and Friends. Um, you can also reach me at MickFabus.com. There's actually an, uh, a, uh, an online form there. If you have interest in my production services or if you've got a band or you're a vocalist or, or whatever you do, if you like what I'm doing, give me a call. Maybe we can work something out. Excellent. Well, Mick, continued success, and uh, I look forward to hanging with you real soon. Okay, Mike, thanks so much. The Mike Tamano Happening.